Now, you know what I really, really love? I love a good movie trailer. I will make my family go early to the theater so that I can see them. I will make them watch every single one at family movie night in our home because I really enjoy a good movie trailer. The reason a movie trailer is so enticing to me is that it sets up the whole idea of the story in that movie in just a few short minutes, and it excites me and it drives me to see the rest of that story. This portion in Joshua 1 serves as a trailer, or perhaps a better way to look at it, like a table of contents for what's going to happen in the rest of this amazing story. Better yet, it's part two of God's story that he already has in process. Best yet, this story isn't made up. The story is 100% true. It really happened. It's real. Today, I want our time together to serve as a movie trailer that entices you, that drives you, and excites you to see the rest of this story. Now, one would tend to think at first glance that this story is about Joshua and the Israelite people, but in reality, it's much bigger than that. The story I want us to see is bigger than Joshua and the Israelites. And we are going to see a story of God's glory, promise, and care for the people of Israel. Part one of this story was through Moses, but part two is now through Joshua. Again, this passage is the story of God's glory, promise, and care for his people. So if you're taking notes, we're going to jump right in. And the first one, the first point to be made is this. God's story is about his glory. Now to truly understand this passage here and where we're at in the story, we first had to understand where we're coming from and where we are in the story so far. We need the background to truly understand that God's story is always going to be about his glory. You know what I'm talking about here with the background to a story, right? It's that moment when your spouse or your roommate or your sibling or your friend binge-watched three episodes of your favorite Netflix TV show without you being there, and now they just want to continue watching, and all you've got is the previously on Downton Abbey to catch up with, right? So here's the previously on to help you catch up on the story of glory, promise, and care. What Joshua does here is he recounts part two of God's great work of redemption in the Old Testament period. In part one, known as the Pentateuch, under the leadership of Moses, the Lord acts as redeemer of his people, and he brought the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, and he formalized his covenantal love with them for them at Sinai. This was bringing him all glory. Now in part two, under the leadership of Joshua, the Lord acts as divine warrior and brings his people into the land of promise and gives them rest to show his glory. Joshua comes immediately after the Pentateuch and in many ways completes the story. The theme of the five first books of the Bible is this progressive fulfillment as what is known as the patriarchal promise. It was made first to Abraham, then reiterated to his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. Simply stated, the Lord promised Abraham this, that he and his descendants would be blessed and become a blessing, that they would grow to become a great nation, 
and that they would receive a land of their own. In addition, all of these blessings would be enjoyed in the context of a covenant relationship with God. So by the end of the Pentateuch, Israel had been brought into the blessing of covenant relationship with the Lord and had become a great people. That's two out of the three promises fulfilled. But they remained outside of the land of promise on the plains of Moab. So 40 years before, the Lord had raised up Moses to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt and bring them to the land that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, after so many years of wandering, Joshua, serving as the new Moses, was to lead God's people into the land. Take it, divide it among them as their inheritance from the Lord, revealing how good, great, and glorious a God he is. I really wish we had time this morning to go back through step by step and see all the mentions throughout the Pentateuch about God doing and God giving and God working and God leading, all leading and building and pushing and pointing to this moment where he would fulfill the promise he made to bring him glory right now, and that is where we pick up in Joshua 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. You see, the Lord had spoken with and worked directly with Moses, and he's now working directly with Joshua. Joshua was Moses' assistant And he had seen firsthand God's working and concern for his glory above anything else. Now God himself was speaking directly to Joshua to fulfill the third part of the promises made years before. Joshua was to lead the people of Israel and take the land that was promised to them. So we got just a glimpse of God working this story for his glory throughout the history of Israel. But before I move on here, just look at this passage and see how much this is about God. In verse 2, I am giving. In verse 3, I have given, just as I promised. In verse 5, I was with Moses. I will be with you. I will not leave you. Verse 6, I swore to give. Verse 9, the Lord is with you. So what should make your heart sing about this history lesson? We see in these two verses a summary of a long history of God showing his glory through his faithfulness to people, and we see it in one of the most amazing things about the Old Testament. This aspect of covenant. God faithfully fulfills his promises in the context of relationships, regardless of their failures, despite their bad attempts and their bungled up actions. Did you catch how many of those I statements in these nine verses are accompanied with the word with? God will always do what he says he will, and he does it with people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, the list goes on and on and on. And when you read the Old Testament, when you open up this book, soak up this aspect of covenantal relational promises that God fulfilled and then let it drive you to love and hope and fidelity that God will carry this same relationship over to you. The God of the universe 
in relationship with you. With us. With his church. The same way that he was with each of these. He will keep his promises for his glory in relationship with us. Let's break into this next section and see this God who fulfills promises. Point two, if you're writing them down, is this. God always fulfills his promises. Read verses three through six. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And what the Lord has continued to say to Joshua, it's understood that Moses' death should not cripple the nation. The Lord was faithful in all ages, and he would continue to be faithful in this one as well. Joshua was designated as Moses' successor, and the people were to carry on under him. God will be faithful. He will do what he says he will, and he will provide the strength and courage to do what he has called his people to. He remembers his promise and he is making good on it right now. Verses three through five is almost a verbatim reiteration from Deuteronomy 11, 24 and 25. Do you still have your place there? Flip over to it real quick. In Deuteronomy 11, in verses 24 and 25, and check out this God who doesn't forget, who always comes through. It will sound very familiar to what we just read. Deuteronomy 11, beginning in verse 24. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. You see, such careful repetitions of this promise assure us that God was indeed committed to keeping his promise. The very same words he uttered earlier through his servant Moses indicate that there was no reneging on the promises and there was no revising them. Both of these passages hark back to earlier promises of God, beginning with promises to Abraham. In Genesis 12, 7, he said this, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there. In Genesis 15, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Do you see it again and again and again? God promises and promises and promises. And when we're tempted to think that he won't fulfill these promises, he comes through because God always fulfills his promises. God promised land, and now God gives land. Joshua and the Israelites would see this land promise fulfilled. Now check out this exciting aspect of how God gives, because we can kind of relate to this as well. It's what I like to call the already, but not yet. You see, God has given the land in verse 3. It says, I have given. And in the process, he is also giving the land in verses 4 through 6. 
The giving of the land is viewed from two distinct perspectives in the Hebrew language here. In one, the land already belongs to Israel. God has already given it to them. And the handing, it's like handing over the rights or a title to something. He's given it to them. The other, though, is that he is giving it, and it has yet to be accomplished. It's either imminent or in process. Joshua and the Israelites are still going to have to go and take it. They have the title. But in both perspectives, God is both the giver and the guarantor, reflecting once again his glory and him as the promise keeper. So after recalling the promise made to Moses, God speaks in verse 4 and lays out a map of the promise. The description is general, giving the southern and northern boundaries first, the wilderness or desert in the south, and Lebanon in the north, with the great river to the east, and the great sea to the west. This is a general description of Israel's borders, and the intent here is not to give specific boundaries of the land, or of various tribes' inheritances within the land that we'll find in the full story later on. Rather, it's a general summary, always painted in broad brushstrokes. The details will come later. But the fact remains is this, God keeps and always fulfills his promises, even in the details. God, speaking of his promise and the layout of his promise, drive and build to verse 5, which could be considered the spiritual climax and one of the highlights of the first part of God's charge to Joshua. It's the confidence-inducing, strength-giving promise that one, Joshua and the Israelites' efforts would succeed. Spoiler alert, we see Joshua and Israel possess the land by the end of this book. And two, God would never leave him. This goes back to that encouraging aspect of covenantal relationship God works in. It's even more encouraging when we see that God will be with Joshua the same way he was with Moses. It answers the question whether Joshua would be able to fill Moses' shoes as leader. The I will be with you promise is identical to the ones made to Isaac and Jacob and Moses. See, the faithfulness of God is all over this with the biblical theology to back it up. We have to get this in our heads and our hearts because it will affect our lives. God always keeps his promises. You can see the completion of this, pros- this promise in Joshua chapter, tw- chapter 21 in verses 43 through 45. It says this, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give them to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. <laughs> like, that's amazing. Everything God said, it happened. That doesn't change in your life. Everything that God said will happen, will happen. Even with a glorious God who faithfully keeps his promises, we see that this was not going to be an easy task. That's why God begins verse 6 with this three-peated phrase, to be strong and courageous. At this point for me, this line would be so Necessary. 
Can you imagine? You have to put yourself in Joshua's shoes for just a second. You're taking over for one of the greatest leaders in Israel's histories. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that you are going to lead. You're going to go into battle in a land that you don't know. It's strange. And God himself is dealing directly with you. The pressure for success and the weight of failure must have been enormous. That's when we go back and recall that this story is about God's glory, not ours. We can be strong and courageous, not because it makes much of us, but because it makes much of God. So say that again. We can be strong and courageous, not because it makes much of us, look at how good I am, but because it makes much of God. It's about his faithfulness, his ability to keep promises, and his glory being revealed. In this case, Joshua could jump fully into what he was called to do because his father is faithfully upholding his promise. It'd be kind of like this. Do you remember the first time you jumped off a diving board into a pool? I don't remember mine clearly, but I do clearly remember my son's. My son, Hutch, I don't know if you saw him. He's a precocious little boy. He's adventurous. He loves to have fun, but this diving board had him a little shaken. He needed, well, I told him about the benefits of fun and, and the adventure and the excitement, but what he needed was he needed something more. He needed a promise from his father to be there, to catch him, to care. Now, I'm not God, and I do not keep my promises anywhere close to how he does. But the confidence that my son had in me jumping off that diving board is the confidence I want to have in God when he calls me to do something. He jumped. He jumped in with complete abandon, faith, and trust. My wife actually captured the moment, in it, and it looks like this. You can't really see it, but his face is lit up. He's so excited because there's confidence that dad promised When you are called to move forward in what God has asked you to do, that's you. That's me. Confidence and joy that God has promised. When God says he will do it, jump. Be strong and courageous with joy, knowing that God will be there. We are are to trust God, trust God to keep his promises. God has made promises even to us as he did of Israel. And fulfillment of these promises can often seem very unlikely, but God has never failed to keep a promise, and he never will. We can be assured, therefore, that the Lord is with us. 
that he will sustain his work in us, that he will bless his work and sustain his church, that he will eventually come again to receive his people to himself, and that all shall eventually confess him as Lord of all. With such a faithful God to fulfill such fantastic promises, we should be built up with zeal for every task and confidence for every trial. We see this story developing, right? As we move through it, the story of glory, of God keeping his promises, and finally the third and final point that we glean from our text this morning is a story of God's glory, promise, and care. The third point would sound like this. God cares for his people through his word and presence. God cares for his people through his word and presence. Verses seven through nine, only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 7 shows us the second strong and courageous, and it's connected to the aspect of the word of God. Here listed the book of the law as the way to enable the strength and courage. The importance of obedience to the law is key to Joshua's success and cannot be overestimated. This is emphasized over and over and over again in these series of verses. The first half of verse 7, Joshua was to be careful to do the law. And it was all the law that was to be obeyed. The second half of verse 7, Joshua wasn't to, to deviate from it even slightly, neither to the right nor to the left. And in verse 8, the book of the law was not to depart from Joshua's mouth since he was to meditate on it day and night. Now the idea of meditating on this is not one commonly familiar in our 20th century, namely uh, the idea of emptying one's mind or concentrating on nothing but self or visualizations of some kind. Rather, the Old Testament concept of meditation involves two things. One, a focus upon God himself and two, or the works or his law, and two, an actual thing that was done out loud. That's why the book of the law was not supposed to depart from his mouth, because when they meditate in Old Testament times, it's something that's actually said and done and muttered. The Lord shall not, the Lord shall not leave me. The Lord shall not desert me. The Lord shall not leave me. The Lord shall not desert me. So when you meditate, it's on God, not on nothing or self, and it's done aloud. The application of this could be that we are not to drive a wedge between the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. The fact that God has promised to do something doesn't mean that we can sit in mere idleness. The same God who ordains certain ends also ordains the means to those ends. And the primary means we have as believers to God's ends is his word. Let me say that again. The primary means we have as believers to the ends that God has in mind is his word. Just like Joshua, if we are to be strong and courageous, we must get into the word 
Let it wash over us, meditate on it. John Piper puts it this way. Take these truths and day by day focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach it into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for. As you begin this new year, I don't know what you're facing. Death, sickness, besetting sins, upset families, fear, financial distress, jobs, parenting, marriage, singleness, slander, criticism, an ugly past, or a seemingly insurmountable future. Surely this new year will bring with it stressors of every kind. Let the word wash over you. Get into it. Meditate on it. Grab what College Park is starting with the fighter verses and connect them to your memory so they are applied at every scent and sight of trouble. Face this new year with strength and courage that comes not from yourself, but from knowing the word of God, revealing the God who is faithful in promises, which leads to success. Now let's talk about the word success here. In verse 8, we see that Joshua's to care, if Joshua is careful to follow the word of God, he will experience prosperity and success. Not as wealth and financial prosperity as some televangelist ear tickler type would claim, but as accomplishing the task that you are given to do. The two words we find here in our passage in Joshua, speaking of prosperity and success, are almost never used in the Old Testament to speak of financial success. Rather, they speak of succeeding in life's proper endeavors. This happens when people's lives are focused entirely on God and obedience to Him. The focus of people's endeavors is not to be financial prosperity and success, but rather holiness and obedience to the endeavors God has called them to. A believer's consuming obsession should be holiness, for God himself is holy. To love God with one entire being, to keep the word with the same fervor, and to fear God and keep his commandments. When this happens, then God does bless, although not always in exactly the ways we might like to see him. In this Old Testament message, we can see the message that Jesus spoke when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things, food and drink and clothing, will be given to you as well. Our priority is to seek God and this means we focus on God, not wealth, to ultimately succeed. So the result of Joshua keeping the law was that his way would prosper and be successful. Joshua's obedience to God's will and God's presence was with him to guarantee this. Now let's talk about my favorite part of this passage. God's presence. Man. You guys ever really, 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 really experienced that? The third call to strength and courage is addressed to Joshua, and it was based on the promise of God's presence. This didn't minimize the task that Joshua faced. He would encounter giants and fortified cities, but God's presence would make all the difference. 
In the passage, we see that the presence of God is the ultimate care for his people. It drives out fear. It casts away discouragement. It puts strength into us and strength toward our task and courage for our duty and courage for the day. And it goes back to this aspect that we talked about of covenantal relationship that we started our time with. God himself shares himself with us. He is present in our lives. Two two days ago, he reminded us that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And all throughout scripture, we see a God who is with his people. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you have dealt with in your past, whatever will come up in your future, know that as a believer, as one of God's people, he will be with you through it all. In this story, Joshua probably had times where he felt weak, inadequate, and frightened. Perhaps he was considering resigning before the conquest ever began. But God knew all about those feelings of personal weakness and fear and told Joshua three times, be strong and courageous. God also urged him not to be afraid or discouraged. You see, these charges with their accompanying assurances of God's promise, his word, and his presence were sufficient to last a lifetime. Believers in all ages can be uplifted by these same assurances. God will be with you as believers. You see, this passage is for believers. The closing coming is for believers. The glory, promise, presence, and care of God is for his people. Today, are you a believer? Is the presence of God in your life? God's story continues later through the person of Christ who came to reconcile us completely to God. It's what we celebrated two days ago, right? The coming of Christ. By admitting you're not the author, director, or star of your story, by repenting of sin that you know is there, by placing your hope and faith and trust in Christ, you can begin the best, most well-written story you will ever experience. A right relationship with God. A God who is with you and not against you. If you've never done this, make today the day. Talk with God. Commit your life to him. There will be people up front here at the end of this service who would love to interact with you on that. If you're watching online, grab your Bible. Find someone. And make today the day where you are with God and God is with you. So as we close, let me talk very briefly about this story of God's glory, promise, and care into today. Let's bring it into today. While we may not be called to national leadership or conquering cities or possessing new lands, we are a part of God's story. While the characters have changed, the plot has not. And I want, to leave, I want you to leave here with real thought put into how this story about God, Joshua, and the Israelites get into your life. So first, God's story in your life is all about his glory. God's story in your life is all about his glory. How are you doing with that? 
Are you the star of your show? It's not the way it was meant to be, right? We were meant to live for so much more than ourselves. We're created to live for God's glory. But how do we do this in a realistic way? How does God's glory and living for it overflow into our everyday lives? Well, here's the thing. It's a heart thing, and it's an action thing. It's a private thing, and it's a personal thing, and it's a public thing. For everyone, following the greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us comes to mind. One, love God. Love God with all your emotions, putting off anger and putting on patience, for example. With all your thought, whatever is honorable, whatever is true, whatever is righteous, whatever is excellent, think on these things with all you do. Over the past couple days, I took an opportunity to get a poll from my family and friends on this. How do we glorify God with the way we live? You live for God's glory in the way you drive. One of my family members said, um, it's not killing the person that I want to when I drive by them, <laughs> and they cut me off. You live for God's glory in the way that you serve. Somebody said, it's, sometimes it's just about seeing other people and, and making sure that they're cared for, opening their doors, taking them stuff that they need. You live for God's glory in your life in the way that you forgive, turning the other cheek, not holding on to that grudge. You live for God's glory in your life by the way you obey. I asked my son again. <laughs> I said, how do you obey for God's glory? He said, it's when I don't aim the Nerf gun at dad's face. <laughs> so, that is right. <laughs> you obey. You live for God's glory in your life in the way that you share. Risk it all. Step over and knock on the door next door. Talk to your neighbor about the most important thing they'll ever hear. It's not just the way that we love God that shows us glory, but also how we, second commandment, love others. How are you doing at loving your spouse, your kids, your roommates, your siblings, your teachers, your coworkers, your parents, your enemies, your neighbors? All those ways are ways that you can publicly show what's going on inside of you living for the glory of God. All the ways you interact with them and love them will reflect your belief in how important God really is. Start the new year with renewed commitment to the glory of God by seeking the good of others in your sphere of influence. So first, God's story in your life is about his glory. Second, God's story in your life is about him always fulfilling his promises. How do we work toward and live toward God fulfilling his promise? Take time this year to, to, to reflect on God's faithfulness. As believers, recount the blessings he has given already and will continue to fulfill all throughout eternity. If you're one still figuring out the Christian life or exploring it, read the word. Think on the occurrences in your life that God is using to reveal himself to you and draw you to him. He will be faithful as you submit to him. Remember God's promises in your life by one, the way you suffer. He's promised persecution, but he's also promised it produces something. He's you live for God's promises in your life by the way you fail and repent or being conformed to the image of Christ. You remember God's promises in your life by the way you progress in your sanctification. He will keep you from stumbling and he will complete a good work that he started in you. Remember God's promises in the way that you recall speaking God's promises over and over to yourself. Fighter verses might help. Pick those up. 
You remember God's promises by the way that you claim. Again, asking my little man, when your kids have bad dreams, we like to claim. The verse I claimed when I had bad dreams as a kid, Proverbs 4, I'm sorry, Psalm 4, 8. I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, our Lord, are with me. I love telling that to Hachi. I love telling that to myself still. (laughs) The way you grow up helps you remember the promises of God. Stop the spoon feeding only that the church gives you and seek fellowship and counsel. Seek the discipline of guidance, finding others who have seen the promises and have them help you see them or understand them. You remember God's promises in your life by the way that you fight. No temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. And you know what? The battle's won. It's done. Already, but not yet. Just like we saw. Finally, God's glory, one, is about, God's story is about his glory in your life, two, about his promises being fulfilled, and finally, God's story shows up in your life in care through his word and presence. Application here, it's difficult. Not really. Get in the word. Get in the word. Commitment and obedience in this area cannot be overstated. It is the lifeblood, the truth that empowers Christian living. Knowing the word allows us to know God. Knowing God allows us to experience his presence. Experiencing his presence enables the strength and courage required to live out the life we are called to. The word and presence of God are essential to a biblically defined prosperous and successful life. So how do we do this? Colossians 3.16 comes to mind and states it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Other ways might include this. You exemplify his word and presence in your life and the way that you walk. As Christians, God is always with us. Matthew 28, I will never leave you or forsake you. Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. The way that you read, actually reading the Bible, caring enough to make time. Go from dead last resort to default. It includes the way that you are. I think we get so so caught up as Americans in what we do. How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? And it's about who I am. What am I supposed to be? And who I am as a believer is with Christ in his word. Finally, it includes the way that you leave. God is with you all times, in every way, not just when you walk through these doors. When you go to the basketball with your buddies, he's there. When you're parenting, he's there. I'm preaching to myself. In your loneliness, he's there. At your school, at your work, everywhere you are, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it's with you as you leave. 
So just like any amazing story that God writes, in this case, the story of Joshua and the Israelites, he's writing your story. It's a story of his glory, his continued promises being fulfilled, and the care he has for each of us. Jump into the pool of committed Christian living. Be strong and courageous as you face the next year and the chapter of God's story that's being written in your life. Let today be that trailer that I love for the next year of your life where you are making the decision right now to pursue God's glory with all that you are, reveling in his fulfilled promises and faithfulness in your life, knowing his presence and diving into his word so that in the next 12 months, you are living and breathing and showing the full story of God in all that you say and do and think for his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the book of Joshua. Thank you for this grand story that you've written about your glory. And then hear how we see your, your promises and your presence and your care for people. Your people. God, work in our minds and hearts and lives to cement these things down. Use your Holy Spirit to grab a hold and root them so that we might be drawn to your word to a nearness and closeness with you and a year that reflects how good and great and glorious you are. Help us, God, we pray in this endeavor. Amen.